week's action show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to Linux Action Show episode 447. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Well, hello there, Noah. Guess what? We have a big show coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. Noah's built something unique, something special for the holidays, and there's no cloud involved. He says he's taking me to school and showing me how you, on how you build something that you could have just bought out of the box from the store and pushed a button. Oh, no. Instead... You spend a week wiring it yourself, manually connecting all the parts, climbing ladders, and then you come on last and you demonstrate to me how easy it is. That's coming up on this week's episode of the show. But before we get there, have you heard about this five-year-old vulnerability that basically affects every single distribution? We'll tell you about that. And then I think Windows software is dead. AutoCAD, bankrupt. Adobe, going out of business. Anybody that makes software for Windows is screwed. And it's not me that's causing it. It's Satya Nadella. We'll tell you all about that in the news segment. And then the KDE Neon Project, they think they know how to do an LTS right. All you other suckers, you ain't been doing it right. Either way, it looks like the Neon Project has something super awesome in the works. We'll tell you about that. And then NVIDIA is taking the first steps towards supporting Wayland and Mir. I hope. We'll tell you about that. Then we've got feedback, but before all of that, Noah, you know what we've got? We've got the Merry Christmas picks. Oh, there's nothing really holiday about these picks. No, not about the picks. It's just you got the the episode has to have a Christmas tinge to it because it ends with Christmas, kind of, sort of. But you're gonna make people think it's our last episode before Christmas, which is not the case. Fine, we'll just do the. (laughs) Fine, we just have the picks. Okay, we have nothing special. Okay, can't can't do anything special or cool for the picks. No, the picks. Just your average. Close to the holidays picks. <laughs> I'll tell you about what's not so average, though. Look at this GIF bot. Look at Piku. This is something that is totally Linux-powered, totally friendly and easy to use, nice and interactive, that can sit on top of a dark, evil, deep mind AI. It's a Linux-powered bot that can shake its head, and it can use different GIFs on an LCD screen to communicate. Now, it has GIFs like eyes and winks and smiles, but it also has internet meme gifs, so it can respond with an internet meme. Now, this all kind of sounds cute and dorky, but if you go through this freaking post, and this is a massive post up on Imager, talk about using Imager for what it was really built for. Uh, He goes through the 3D modeling of the entire thing, building different test prototypes, and then, of course, into the software and the hardware. You probably guessed it. It's essentially like a Raspberry Pi in this thing, uh, running all of this. It's so neat. And Noah, this is really this is really the way to go. So it's got three PCBs for servo control, one PCB for connecting the wires from the base to the head, and another PCB as a breakout for the Arduino minis. Then three PCBs for the mics, two in the ears, and the one that faces forward, and then one PCB for power distribution and mic control in the head. Uh, so this thing, imagine this sitting on top of like, or imagine a Mycroft built into this. So yeah. you got Mycroft for the back-end open-source AI, and then you've got something like this for the fun, nice, cute interaction. We've seen some other projects kind of like this. They were like Kickstarters in the past. This one's totally built up from scratch. So it's the GIF bot. Piku. So it's let me ask you cool. this. Would, would, you have, would you have to run the back-end on like a local machine? Does it have to be mm-hmm. on-premise? Mm-hmm. This one does. It does. Okay. It's all – It's all. Okay. Boy, Noah, but you know what? That's like asking, like, but here's the thing. As soon as you start, here's the thing, Noah. As soon as you uh, start uh, uh, adding any kind of extra services to it, they're all going to have internet connections. Probably something like this isn't all that useful unless it can update your calendar, tell you about weather and traffic, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of. No, I, I wasn't getting that, that much. I was just thinking, like, if I have to, if I have to buy, like, if I have to run, like, the, the AI part of it, and I have to run that, I'm assuming that requires more than just a Raspberry Pi, right? No. In fact, I would prefer it does. Oh, that runs on the Pi, too. I would prefer it does because think about – I would I, prefer it does. I just didn't think it had the horsepower. I've, I've been thinking that ever since Mycroft was announced that I would prefer something that has a central brain that is aware of 
if mm-hmm. I asked to create a task on my phone or I asked to create that task on my laptop or I did it through some sort of web session, I would like one thing that knows that and keeps it straight across all of my devices and not using mm-hmm. some sort of like back-end cloud syncing provider where it syncs sure. and resolves the conflicts, but actually like an orchestrator where the, where the phone or the laptop is a front end to this orchestrator AI. Maybe it can do quick local answers, but then it, it sends the job to the orchestrator AI and it actually holds the back-end database and the back-end calendar and the back-end contacts right. and it sets it right. across all of my devices. So I really would like yeah. to see AI that does run on a PC, something I could I could put on a droplet or something I could throw on a laptop and run locally and then have it be right. like the the uh, the center authority of all knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then have sure. it kill me one day, I would assume. I mean, because eventually once we perfect the technology, the only imperfections remaining will be the humans. Ergo, mm-hmm. We are essentially a biological bootloader. In the meantime, though, you can get a great deal on DigitalOcean. In fact, go over to DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code, here's the thing. All one word, like you're slurring it, like a gentleman. Here's the thing. It'll give you a $10. Here's the thing. We'll give you a $10 promo over at DigitalOcean.com. I, I actually would probably use DigitalOcean if I had a centralized AI managing my life. Oh, my God, that sounds so appealing. They got all SSDs for the drives. So it's super fast performance, really nice machines, and their pricing is bananas. For three cents an hour, you can get two gigs of RAM, a two-gore processor, 40-gigabyte SSD, and three terabytes of transfer for three cents an hour. You can run it $5 a month if you want to do a different rate. They got 512 megs of RAM, a core processor, 20-gigabyte SSD, and a terabyte of transfer. But what really kicks DigitalOcean up is their interface. Nobody has a UI like DigitalOcean, and nobody's got an API like DigitalOcean. A lot of competitors are trying these days, but DigitalOcean's been in this game for a long time. And one of the things they did is they made a they made the right bet on the technology backend. Linux for the servers, KVM for the virtualizer, 40 gigabit E connections into the hypervisors. Oh yeah, and of course, tons of great distros to choose from. <clears throat> Even Fedora. What? No, they actually just added Fedora 25, which, if you think about it, is really awesome because if you are making a bet on Fedora, like I have been for testing, I have now been able to rely on DigitalOcean for several releases to get it worked out immediately. Same with Ubuntu, Debian, and even FreeBSD. And what's so nice is every time I talk to these teams, I find out that DigitalOcean reaches out to them and they actually set up a dialogue to make this not just something like they're not just going out and grabbing the ISO and like figuring out how to, and then throwing it on their servers. They're working upstream with the projects, even FreeBSD. Who does that? DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Here's the Thing and check out their great documentation too. Really good stuff, including using Docker Composer. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Compose on Ubuntu 14.04, and of course they got it on the newer versions of Ubuntu, like 16.04. Installing MySQL on CentOS, JSON and JavaScript, all the goodies plus much, much more, and tons of open source projects that works with the API. Out of the box. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Here's the Thing. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the next action show. DigitalOcean.com. Here's the thing. So tell me about this app pick. It looks pretty cool and it's got no spyware, no adware, and no nonsense. I like that as a slogan. Here's here's the thing. Sometimes oh, tell me the, on the, here's the action thing. show, we talk. All right, yeah. Here's the thing. I'm about to. I'm about to. Die. I'm about to explain the oh, thing. Okay. Here's the, the thing. thing no, as I want to hear the thing. Right. Here's the thing. So the we sometimes on the Linux Action Show we dance around things and we 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 lead you right up to the point and then we expect you to jump over the cliff and 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 go you know do whatever your conscience tells you to do. We're gonna skip all that today and I'm just gonna tell you I got a tool for pirating. It's gonna help you pirate things and that's what this tool does. And there's really no two ways about it. Oh, the so that's why called, there's no nonsense. Oh, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> <clears throat> I just so last night I was having a conversation with Rakai and I had a couple of ideas for epics and he goes, you know, really know a good epic. What the definition of good epic is is when you have a unique app that nobody's really heard of and that people you want to bring some attention to. So man, that I beard, dug man. to the deepest parts of the internet and I'm like. Here, this is a tool that I'm sure nobody's ever heard of. And basically what it is, is it's more or less a live Linux distro that you can put on a USB drive specifically for pirating stuff. For peer-to-peer That's file sharing. I mean, it, it uses, so it yeah, uses oh, BitTorrent. Yeah, 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 sure. Well, actually, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll give you an example. 
So say we were. I gonna- know. I always use my live USB sticks to download Linux distros and other legal content. I would. That makes total. I don't sense. deny. I don't deny. I don't deny. But girlfriend, let me tell you. Let's just say hypothetically, at episode five hundred, we were ending the Linux Action Show. No more Linux Action Show, and we wanted to put the entire ten-year catalog out for download. Wouldn't this be along with regular torrents and whatnot? Wouldn't this be a great way to distribute the individual episodes? Totes legal. Yeah, we we definitely we totally need a uh, a a live independent distro on a USB key to do that. It's, it's a tool for pirating. You can't. There's no way to spin this. There is no way to well, do an imagination. I guess the if it makes you, you would need this if you want if, to pirate. If it makes you feel any better, proprietary software is not ethical. So I, I wouldn't say I had a problem with it. I, I it's it's a cool tool and it's available for both uh, 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 Windblows and in in Linux. But it it is a and then they have the portable edition that you can boot, which is really the point of the tool is. But the um but yeah, it's it's a tool for pirating. So Taxiti, if you are if you need a good tool for pirating, whatever it is, and if you for some reason want to use a specified tool rather than just a normal BitTorrent client to download media, then I guess uh, you could. Go through a lot of extra work hmm. to get the same result. I guess. What's wrong with that? I mean, this looks like a pretty cool tool. Uh, look, they're downloading Fedora 11 right there. Um, yeah, I mean, you could. There's all kinds of things you could use this for. I, I, all right. I guess. All right. all right. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I mean, I suppose a lot of people. It does remind me of the LimeWire days. Uh, this is pretty cool. I've been yeah. getting. I don't have any personal investment in the Risk architecture, but I've been getting notes from a lot of you out there that do. So I wanted to give a little bit of a mention to LowRisk.org, which is just a. That's a pretty clever name. It's a fully open source Linux capable system on a chip. Uh, they have not only got uh, like you know the software end of this dialed down for open source, but they've also been making sure that. They have been developing out in the open the actual chip design itself. So the designs are permissively licensed and developed in collaboration with an open source community. And so that gives you a little bit more insight in like the security of this thing, but also how you can build it around your different hardware needs. The low-risk platform aims to be the Linux of the hardware world, providing high-quality, secure, and open base for derivative designs. We will prove our design with volume silicon manufacturing and a company low-cost development board. Our goal is to lower the barrier to entry. So they have – they've been around for a bit. People are familiar with them in our community. So I'm not telling anybody about something they don't already know if they're familiar with this stuff. But I wanted to shine a little love on it because I've been hearing a lot from them. And also wanted to maybe mention their Twitter profile if you want to just kind of stay up to uh, a date on some of their developments at low risk, R-I-S-C, on Twitter if you're curious about this kind of stuff because – this does seem to be something I, – I, I, I find it fascinating that as larger interests move on or as the commodity market consolidates on x86, these platforms, these like, uh, like PowerPC and Risk that we've, that we've talked about before and it feels like the industry has moved on are all of a sudden seeing a resurgence for task-specific and work-specific uh, applications, especially when you can cram so much onto a system on a chip and then you can run a platform like Linux on it, which is capable of doing just about anything that will compile on there. It's, it's amazing to watch a platform that you would have thought maybe a few years ago or five, ten years ago was just essentially mm-hmm. going to just be – relegated to just the corners of the industry is now coming back in a big way. And if low risk is successful in creating the Linux for system on a chips, what they really mean by that is we'll do the d- design and engineering and the core maintenance of the core design. And then there could be lots of deviations out there with crazy video cards or lots of memory, which could be fragmentation, but could also lead to some incredibly nice systems. And it could be common when you see switches five, ten years down the road, they're using CPUs like this in them because if you're in the industry of buying systems that need risk processors, this is just what you get. Just like when you get a web server or some or a database server, you get a Linux box now. That's just what you get. Mm. Yeah, de facto standards. I got an extra pick, an extra bonus pick. You ready? You ready for this? I'm ready. I'm very excited because I know how much you love cloud stuff. I do. I there, worship the cloud. There is one cloud service I think you use, though. Spotify? Yeah, I mean, I, I get to use a lot of cloud services, but I just, I'm not, I don't particularly care for them. So, and if they went away tomorrow, I could really care less. You know how you make a cloud service that has a bad application better? You know how you do that? How's you bring that? it to the command line. So check this out. This is Pytify or some PY Tiffy. And it allows you to search and start songs from Spotify Perhaps from the command line. Pytify? 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 Uh, Spotify must be running in the background, but 
If you got the Python 3 supports, you can use this in a Quake dropdown. What's up? And uh, you can you can not only search and start music, but I believe you can also do it to to Spotify that's playing on other computers in your home network or on your on your on your account. So you could also well, I could cool. I could have a machine. See, now we're starting to cook with gas, right? Mm-hmm. I could have maybe like a rig over there that's running Spotify in the background that I'm controlling via yep. my Quake dropdown here at the hair at the Airmaster. Mm-hmm. That could be really cool. So yep. I haven't tried it out yet, so I that just made it like cool. a little bonus. But if uh, if you got it, you can check it out. You can do pip install py tiffy, or go to pi tiffy. Get it like Spotify, except pi at the beginning and. But it's a pi, but it's not pi. pi but see, the pi. reason why I don't think that's because it's Python, Python, not like a Raspberry Pi. It's like a Python script. Right. I don't know. Python. Care so not do I? Pi and then yeah. <laughs> care not do I really? Can you tell okay. I care not? Can you tell I care not? I was, uh, was just... So uh, I want to just do a mention for uh, our biggest shame. There was a segment that got cut. It went so bad we never put it here on the show. And it was a Linux switch that Noah and I were doing that we thought was a slam dunk. And it turned out okay. We pulled it out in the end and everything's solid. But for a little while there, it was rough. And I just uh, – I posted that on my personal channel. It's called Snow Day. YouTube.com slash Chris Fisher. If you want to see our one of our worst Linux switches ever, and then watch us pull ourselves out of a no di- nosedive. <laughs> okay, to be fair, to be fair, I mean there were some pro- there there were some problems from the Linux side of it, but really, like there were a lot of outside variables that had nothing to do with the actual switch to Linux that were causing issues that day that 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 led into the the failure of the episode right like perhaps i mean, I mean never, it was a, I, was, I would say i'll leave it to the viewer to see but oh my god i was watching back the footage and like when i open the software center the mouse just mm-hmm. like freezes and for like a seriously yeah. three minutes you can't move the mouse around the screen and that was yeah. so anyways yeah, but i mean there are, there are two two devices that fix that you know ssd and some don't RAM spoil and- it it's all in the show and our trials and woes are jeez man do you not get the point of a tease or what so check it out youtube.com slash chris fisher uh plus also some other things like epic drone shots and uh Probably some funny shots of Noah in there. Probably. I I can't guarantee. I can't guarantee. Oh, 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 also, I was told by upstairs that I should mention that since we still have Super Key stickers left, if you order, uh, I think, any sticker, but uh, definitely a Linux Action Show sticker in December while we still have the uh, Super Key covers and we have white and black, we'll include them in there. Uh, We'll just include these for free if you just want to pick up a sticker and put it on your laptop or on your forehead or whatever. Also, tweet it to us at Jupiter Signal if you do. Uh, these are really sweet, and I got a few in here that I should start handing out. But we got a little bit left, so if you'd like to grab one, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash sticker, and we just include them with any other sticker purchase to make it really easy and simple. All right, Noah, let's do the news. Hey, it's the news. This episode is brought to you by... Ting.com. Last.ting.com is where you go to save $25 off a device or get $25 in service credit if you're going to bring a device. They got GSM and CDMA network to choose from. Check them out at last.ting.com. They got a savings calculator right there so you can see how much you would save. And if you're a small business, I very much recommend, I very, very strongly recommend you go over there. Because here's the thing. $6 a line is a great way to get phones for your staff, especially if they only pay for if you only have to pay for what they ever use. And if you've got Wi-Fi while they're at work, <laughs> just set them up with a VoIP app. Have them make sure that like things sync while they're over Wi-Fi. And it is, it's unbelievable. Jupiter Broadcasting is able to just grab these phones when we need them and give them to folks when they're here in a way that we'd never be able to with the traditional duopoly models. Last.ting.com. They got great customers. Customer service. You get to talk to an actual human being and a dashboard that's so capable, even for more than two and a half years now, I think two, three years, maybe it's three years I've been a Ting customer. I've had to call customer service once because I was doing something cray cray with a MiFi in Montana. Also, check out the Ting blog. When you go to last.ting.com, click on the blog link. If you are a cord cutter but you still want to get your holiday on, they got uh, tips for all the different ways you can stream for free and for pay, including don't, don't laugh until you try it. A Yule log. These are actually legitimately – there's a whole series of these on YouTube where you can just – it's so funny, dude. And then once you start watching a few of them, YouTube just recommends a whole bunch more. And so now I got like rivers and ponds and 4K in my YouTube feed. And you know what? It's kind of legit. Part of me was thinking maybe I should just put one of these up on my LCD television for a Christmas tree and skip doing a Christmas tree. Check it out. It's actually so cool. Go to last.ting.com. It's the best way to go. 
Uh, and they got they even cover uh, some um, just over the air things you can do as well. I I actually think this might be a pretty compelling offer if you're looking for a great value. The uh, Moto G4 Plus, they just uh, plussed it up. You can get it from Ting for $274 unlocked, <laughs> no contract. And it's looking pretty nice. First of all, I actually prefer a front-facing fingerprint reader. I know I'm crazy. Me too. No, but When it's not. down on the you're table, logical. it's so much easier. It's so much easier when you have it down on the table and you want to just check something. N- not just that. Not just that. Holding your phone like this is not natural. I don't care what anyone says. If they tell you that they hold their phone like this and that's natural, then they're lying to you. They don't. It's not. You The, the phone needs to be in your hand like this, mm-hmm. and so your finger comes here. Now, in a perfect world, the fingerprint reader would be right in the center of the screen. Like, that's That'll really happen one day. That's not practical. One day. One Maybe. day. So, But check Maybe. out this this G4 here. Uh, it's got a 1.5 gigahertz Qualcomm quad-core. It's got 64 gigs of built-in, but you can put up to 128 gigs of SD, which... That is really nice. We were just talking about Bluetooth issues a little bit ago. That's really nice. It also has a 3,000 milliamp battery and a 5.5-inch LCD screen. It does CDMA and GSM, so you get to pick and choose what works better in your area. With a 16-megapixel camera and a 5-megapixel front-facing for $274. And they have the nice, clean experience on there. It's not all jacked up with a crazy Moto launcher and stuff. It's just really minimal. In fact, it's a really great, great phone. The Moto G4 Plus for a great price. If you're looking for a great budget phone, they also have uh, phones that are cheaper and all the way up to the Cadillacs, all the top line phones, or just go grab a Pixel or an iPhone and bring it over to Ting. Last.ting.com. Thanks, Ting, for sponsoring Linux Action Show. So I thought we should probably, you know what? I got to hold on, Noah. Hold on. I, I gotta change Holy. headphones. I'm starting to lose my hearing, and I can't hear myself anymore. So this is something. If you watch the video version, you might notice over the last few episodes that Noah and I've been wearing headphones more and more. Typically, Why? we figure that out before we actually go back on. I know. There. I'm but, sorry, uh, but know, I, I just can't hear myself. Take your time. I can't hear you either. So to explain to people why these are superior, even though they look horrible. So, so the thing is, even though they look horrible, being able to hear yourself allows you to tune your voice, and so you can milk it to get it right where you want it. And the other thing is you pick up on conversation with your co-host a lot better. So I can, I understand what Chris is telling me, but the problem is when you're concentrating on the production aspects, I'm concentrating, looking at the camera, I'm concentrating, trying to keep an eye on the chat room. I'm concentrating on trying to make sure I have my eye on the dock and where we are in the show and where we're going to be going and anticipate all that. On top of that, I'm relying on just my auditory uh, senses to, to communicate with Chris. And so having him injected fully with, all of his vocal range all of into my um, into headphones, all of it into my ear holes is way better than having a tinny version of Chris on little ear things yeah. that are stuck Plus, way in there. And I feel like when I have in ear headphones yeah. smashed in my ear and my hearing starts to like fade, that means I'm probably overdriving my ears too much. And I should probably just, for yeah. the sake of long term uh, hearing, mm-hmm. I should probably just dial it back to these headphones. Mm-hmm. So let's move to probably a story that you're going to hear a lot about this week. It started breaking on like Friday or something. So people have been sitting on it over the weekend and I think it's going to get a lot of circulation. There's a five-year-old Linux kernel privilege escalation flaw that goes back uh, quite a ways. It's not Dirty Cow, although it kind of probably reminds you of Dirty Cow. This is, get ready, CVE 2016-8655 that dates back to 2011 that was disclosed on December 7th that could allow an unprivileged, unprivileged, like, you know, maybe your SQL server user or your web server user, something that has a remote connection, an unprivileged local user to gain root privileges by exploiting a race condition in the AF packet implementation in the Linux kernel. Now, Philip Pedersen, who is the researcher that discovered the flaw, was able to create an exploit to gain a root shell on an Ubuntu 16.04 system with Linux kernel 4.4. He was also able to defeat the uh, – uh, I forget what they call it, but it's uh, it's like a memory execution prevention. I forget they have a oh, – uh, um, uh, I guess it's SMEP, uh, which stands for mm-hmm. Super Bi- Supervisor Mode Execution Prevention. He was able to get around that too, which – Kind of sucks. In other words, a local unprivileged attacker can exploit this to cause a denial of service against the box at best or at worst run up arbitrary and malicious code with administrative level root privileges on the targeted system. And it goes back to 2011. Now, patches are already in the works. So uh, it was patching the mainline kernel last week. So go patch your S, everybody. This will probably get – Sometimes these get ignored, but usually when we've got a – when we got – it is local. It's a local privilege escalation. But I'll remind you, 
because you can be an unauthorized or you can be a low privileged user. Essentially, any service on your box that runs under a user account with a remote listening connection, even yourself with an application running locally in your X session, that could be used to get access to your system if anything in that entire stack has a flaw. That's pretty serious. That's pretty serious. So if you want to know more, go look up CVE 2016-8655. And, uh, of course, there's also a chance that Mr. Jude's going to break it down on Thursday's TechSnap. Any chance he gets to take a shot at Linux. <laughs> All right. So I read through this. And, you know, I want to I I touch on something. Noah and I get a lot of, a lot of pushback. People get uh, frustrated, disappointed, um, they agree with us. It, re- it spans the whole range whenever we talk about Microsoft and why they're participating more with but the Linux. Mo- mostly, mostly they accuse us of being unfair. Yet they, nobody can ever actually defend that, but that, that's the accusation. Right. It seems so, to come up every time we talk I want to quantify our stance about Microsoft and their participation in Linux, and then I want to dive into this Forbes article about why Microsoft is recently showing so much interest in Linux. So uh, essentially, if I could boil down our position, and no, feel free to interrupt if you think I'm wrong, uh, we believe that Microsoft is getting more and more involved with Linux because it makes more economic sense for them to get more involved with Linux as Windows as a predominant yep. platform yep. reduces. And as servers and Internet of Things devices and Android devices, uh, as those become a huge, huge market, every little server that's out there to every major corporation server are switching to Linux – there's just less and less incentive for Microsoft to care about Windows and more and more incentive for Microsoft to sell services to those people regardless of what platform they're using. And that's why Microsoft has shown more interest in Linux recently. And more and the, the other the other side of that is they don't care about the community and the actual ecosystem of Linux. They only care well, about Linux yes. as to as a- as they can make money off of it. That's it. They, care, the to the extent, purpose, they care to the extent that that is a part in participating fully in a way that will be good for them long term. So they like they right. show up and they, they they sponsor the hell out of tons of Linux events now and open source get togethers. Mm-hmm. They usually have a booth at any of them that are of anything of any size and, and importance. And sometimes the ones like at OSCON, they go all out with like photographers there and PCs set up with demos and they have some of the biggest, most expensive booths at an open source event. So it's not like they're not in it for to win it. I mean, they're really like the way it's structured at Microsoft is they literally have an entire team of people that are dedicated just to community outreach. That's a that's an investment from a company standpoint. If it was not required for them to be successful in this space, something tells me they wouldn't do it. It's not that we think they right. have evil intentions. It's just it's it's a calculus for them. Right. Yes, exactly. That is that I hundred percent agree with everything you just said. Right, and okay, so that's our that's the Linux Action Show's thesis on why Microsoft is involved in Linux. Now, what are what a lot of the things we get pushback on is that people don't think we're finding the altruism or the community dedication or the passion that they supposedly have, and that's why they're doing this. Mm-hmm. We, you and I, don't really feel that to be the case. Now. Uh, I wanted to dig into this article over at Forbes that sort of discusses a little bit further. And if this if this article is right, I think the Windows software platform is just completely doomed. I mean, obviously, they've got years still of lots of profitability. But Matthew Lodge uh, was writing on Quora, who's a, who's a board member of the Linux Foundation Project. He said, uh, Microsoft focuses all, its, all of its accelerators and sales training on Azure and Office 365s. Uh, it salespeople lead with these products. Customers that are renewing Windows and offer software licenses, Office and other software licenses, licenses, they get when they renew as part of the part of the package to sweeten it and encourage them. Mm-hmm. They get Azure service credits and discounted Azure usage, and sometimes like a lot of hours on Azure. At when you just because Microsoft is selling this platform, and I have I, mm-hmm. when I was in IT working when I wasn't my uh, when I wasn't working for myself, but working for another company as an IT contractor, mm-hmm. we were really on the forefront in a big way on reselling on on VARs that resell hosted Exchange, and this was something that Microsoft mm-hmm. was playing with many years ago. 
This is something they've really doubled down now. See, they they have a partner of they have a VAR network, a, a value added reseller network that they work with, like contractors and businesses that resell on Microsoft's behalf into the customer base that they have. And Microsoft is working with these value added resellers to sell the hell out of Azure. And they're not they're not telling them to sell. I mean, they'll happily take a Windows sale. They'll happily take it, but that's not what they're pushing. Um, in fact, the article right. goes on to say Microsoft is more than happy to renew the deal, but it will also come with a free chunk of Azure if you do it because they really want you doing that instead of your own servers. An operating system mm-hmm. only matters because it's a platform for applications. Apps make money right. for businesses and productivity for individuals. They deliver the value of computing. See, if you look at it in the server market, Linux was largely successful in replacing proprietary Unix in data centers. If you're looking at data centers, I'm mm-hmm. not talking VPSs and web servers. I'm saying large Metal installations at data centers, Linux had the biggest inroads on replacing old Unix systems, Sun and SCO. And and then x86 servers became good enough for hosting businesses to also use them. And nobody really wanted to have to pay for the operating systems anymore. And Microsoft didn't care too much about this because there's no OS market when there's no one that wants to pay. There's no market for Windows to to get into now because there's nobody in the market that wants to pay. I, I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is I think that just in general, my, Microsoft Windows Server deployments don't scale to the to to the size that you would need in in a lot of large business. It works fine if you got an office of fifty or hundred or two hundred employees, or you got a couple offices that connect together. Fine, whatever. But you start getting into hundreds of thousands of employees and thousands of locations and stuff. There's no way. It's just it's not up to the task. So the other thing too is like if you're Sachin Nadella and you're looking at well, what do I do when the biggest markets for operating systems are now filled with consumers who don't need to pay for operating systems? And when the VPS, like we now have, we now have, we have VPS providers that are butthurt over paying a dollar to two two dollars to Canonical. Back in the days, you had to pay like a thousand dollars to run a good version of Windows servers to Microsoft, and now they're about mm-hmm. about one to two dollars, mm-hmm. right? So that yeah. right there demonstrates how the market has shifted underneath Microsoft. And so for Microsoft, there's mm-hmm. nothing to sell into there. So Sache, he's up there in Microsoft's towers in Redmond. He's looking over at uh, Amazon, and he's going, "Well, geez, we got this office and productivity business. We got these patents that make us a ton of money. We got these businesses over here." And he's like, but, you know, where are we going to make our next $10 billion from? Where are we going to make the next mm-hmm. thing that's going to drive the stock market crazy? Well, he's got to mm-hmm. be looking around. He's got to be looking over at his buddies across the street at Amazon, and they're making $10 mm-hmm. billion dollars off AWS alone. In fact, it's pretty much the only thing that makes Amazon money. And that's, 10, that's more than 10 times the size of Azure, and it's growing. AWS is growing 64% per year, while Windows, licenses, mm-hmm. Windows licensing is growing in the single digits. AWS is the cloud platform for apps in its own right, regardless of which OS you run. So Microsoft has to acknowledge this new reality. You don't keep pouring money into Windows, the platform for apps, when Linux has such a huge adoption now. There's so much momentum there that people are, are targeting their applications for that, for the server. So mm-hmm. you throw open the doors and you just welcome every single app that people are making for Linux and you run it on your own infrastructure. So that's they're totally fine with Linux. They want all of it. They they understand now there's no there's no operating system platform for them to buy into because there's nobody there that wants to pay them any money. So why are they going to invest there? Instead, we'll right. let you guys worry about all that stuff. You create that and we'll run it for you and we'll sell you the services. And that's why mm-hmm. they're that's why Fundamentally, Microsoft is taking a new position on Linux. It's not because all of a sudden they get the GPL. It's not because all of a sudden they have this new itch they want to scratch. It's not because they accidentally ended up with all these Bing servers that are sitting idle, and so they got to do something with them. It's because they figured Mm -hmm. out a way to make money on Linux. While all of us were getting upset about patent issues and Windows versus Mm -hmm. Linux desktop, on the back end, Mm -hmm. Microsoft is figuring out how to make a hot buck off of Linux. And now that's what they're transitioning to. So, of course, they love Linux. Of course they do. And I support them making a hot buck off Linux. I hope Linux makes them hundreds of millions of dollars. I think that would be great. I hope Microsoft makes a lot of money off of Linux. However... I, I, there's there's a couple of things I want to address. First of all, is um, the it's not I don't think it's just the cost of the operating system on the back end. I think it's also the cost of the operating system on the desktop. So if you look at Windows, previously they were able to every time somebody bought a new computer. I mean, I remember in the XP days where if you wanted the professional version of of Windows, you were paying like I think three hundred bucks. You know, and then they had the home version and the home and student version or whatever it was. Um, so 
now that Apple has gone through through and said we basically just give you the newest OS with your with the the computer that people and Android has done the same thing. iOS does the same thing. The consumer has come to expect that I don't have to go out and buy a boxed version of an operating system and install it into my computer. And so that's kind of, I think, the direction they went with Windows 10. We're going to make the last version of Windows and just do updates. But the problem is that's a huge loss of revenue for Microsoft because now they've lost that that money coming in. And so they're trying to shift uh, towards a, a service-based. And then as it relates to apps, like you were saying, it's it's not just enough to make a, a platform that runs native applications the problem is the consumer knows they have to constantly buy the new version they have to constantly update it they have to back their stuff up yeah. the computer crashes they're screwed they put it on yeah. aws or wherever and it's up in the cloud so to speak then you know 10 people can access it and you can redo the computer as many times as you want it's just a viewer to go into that app yeah that's so it's sort of like i'm trying to think of it a good analogy but it's it's sort of like they were the premier uh buggy manufacturer for all of us that owned horses and then we stopped getting horses now and we have cars and so now they're right. they're they're shifting to <laughs> exactly. you know making parts for cars that's, basically I, I, that's a horrible analogy on. but yep. you get what i'm saying no, it's like, a great analogy actually the market shifted underneath them and now they're, yep. they're 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 pivoting and it's not they haven't seen the light they didn't go up and touch rms's beard they just they they figured out how to make money off of linux and, and free software which Great. Man, we should all do that. Yeah. Uh, so this yeah, is a really it. interesting update from the KDE Neon Project, which I've been fantasizing about switching to Neon for about three weeks now. After – I don't know. After – I was thinking about just jumping in after Fedora 25, but I ended up having a couple of speed bumps and I didn't. This is a really interesting take though. So KDE Neon is now working on an LTS edition. For those of you who don't remember, Neon is a way to get the hottest and latest Plasma desktop and KDE applications based on Ubuntu. Plasma 5.8 design will be designated an LTS edition with bug fixes and new releases being made for 18 months. We've talked about this Plasma 5.8 18 uh, uh, LTS for a while. We talked about it, I don't count weeks ago, but the, they're they're doing something that's kind of different. He says this Plasma 5.8 LTS is going to be updated for new bug fix releases, e.g., when 5.85 ships at the end of the month, but will not change to Plasma 5.9 when that becomes available, which would be typical of Neon. Neon would typically go right to the next desktop. A common criticism, he says, of LTS editions is that it just means users get old versions with known bugs. KDE Neon's user LTS editions come with the latest KDE applications, and it comes with the latest KDE frameworks, uh, which is going to be QTE 5.7. Now, this all works. This is all how KDE and the whole applications, Plasma Desktop, are all separated so this all kind of makes sense if you follow that. So all the KDE software we ship will be the latest and stable version along with other KDE Neon editions, which will also have hardware enablement updates for Linux and Mesa when they become available. And uh, it's available right here with a, uh, a, a repo. You can add to Debian or to your, uh, to your uh, app get repos. So this is, uh, this, is, this is an interesting take. So it's, we're going to lock – the main desktop edition, the Plasma desktop, to the to the most stable bug fix version, but we'll give you the new applications for as long as we can. Um, so your desktop environment remains locked on a good stable LTS version, which is Plasma 5.8 LTS upstream. That's something the Plasma project's doing. They're going to be maintaining that for a while themselves. So this is a really good combination, and it's it's a neat take on it. So it's another thing that makes me want to consider Neon. Now, what I would love to see, which I understand they're super busy, but I would love to see uh, the the non-LTS version essentially go to current Ubuntu. So it's pegged to current Ubuntu all the time. So I could have a Neon desktop based on Ubuntu current and I could have a Neon desktop based on Ubuntu LTS. That would be, be super cool. That would be cool. Now, this could be an interesting development. It doesn't mean anything this drastic today. It's still a neat development, though. NVIDIA's next Linux driver is going to support Vulkan without X11. I believe this has got to be. Now, I don't know for sure, but uh, this has got to be a big step towards supporting other display servers or protocols. NVIDIA has confirmed that their next proprietary driver update for Linux will introduce support for Vulkan rendering outside the Xorg server. With NVIDIA's current Vulkan driver, it is not possible to achieve headless Vulkan rendering if the Xorg server isn't running. But that limitation is said to be addressed by their next post-300 version 375 release. There's a common API, I think, that still has to be worked out for Wayland support and Mirror support and all of that, which I think is still to be actually done. But this does seem to be pretty nice. The next driver release will support direct-to-display, which if you're not interested in in presenting your frames, will allow you to use Vulkan without X running. 
I don't really understand what that means, but it does seem like a good step to getting Vulcan detached from X-11, which seems like a good step for Whalen support, which, gall darn it, Noah, that just makes me smile. That's, that's all. That's, that's the goal is to make it. Moving away from X, moving away from X, one step at a time. I, you know, a lot of people, this comes up all the time, literally a dozen times a day, um, ask about Linux video editing. And I, I honestly think that we are not going to get there fully competitively until we are no longer editing under X11. I think some of the limitations of the video editors on the Linux desktop are actually not the fault of the application, but either the toolkits sure. they use or just X11 itself. And it's like that's there's no solving that problem until we've moved to something better like Wayland. So I follow these things just for a personal interest with a lot of excitement because I look forward to having one day a super powerful – station that uses Wayland that I could run something that's a modern editor that that doesn't feel sluggish, that, that doesn't feel choppy, that uses a toolkit that works with my GPU and all of that. It, one day, one day, and I hope I'm I hope it's not another 10 years from now. I hope it's sooner than later. But this seems like a first step towards that Wayland utopia. All right, Noah, that's all the news for this week. Now it's time for a holiday miracle. Holiday Spectacular with no cloud, just the way Noah likes it. We're going to dig in just a moment, and apparently I'm going to get schooled. But first, I'll tell you how you can get schooled. Oh, that's right, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to support the show and sign up for a seven-day free trial. Then you can really play around, try out their system, look at all the cool stuff, get a little gauge of the community. I love the Linux Academy platform because it was created by Linux enthusiasts. It's really built for those of us that understand Linux by experts they got labs that give you hands-on scenario-based experience. This is all they do, guys. It's not part of the like this like entire website where you sign up and you get instructions on plumbing and you get instructions on cooking, although I'd take that from Linux Academy. They don't bother like trying to be all-to-all. They focus on Linux enthusiasts, and I think that's what makes their courseware the best because they know when something needs to be refreshed because they actually follow the topics. They have real human beings that can help you, and they know which ones to hire to be able to answer the questions. That's a big deal. If you want to be one of those human beings, too, they are hiring right now. I should mention this. Every now and then check out the Linux Academy Twitter feed or blog because they've got quite a bit of positions open. They're growing like nuts. They are getting really established in the industry. And this is good for you as a student because they have public profiles where you can publicly proclaim your accomplishments. And Linux Academy now works with the foundation. They work with so many different companies in this space, big names, including like Cisco and all these companies out there that you've heard of. Now work and understand like Linux Academy is the real deal. And so when you go there and you take your courseware and you get your certifications and you get your classes done there, they're going to understand, well, geez, Linux Academy, you actually get a legit training. Like that, that's awesome. All tides, all boats rise as Linux Academy's tide goes up, including job positions. Now, a lot of them are instructor positions. So do take that into consideration. But they are looking for a developer. They are looking for a Linux and cloud security expert. Uh, they're looking for a help desk technician. And then, of course, they're looking for um, recruiting managers and instructors, but mostly creators of content and instructors for all different kinds of Linux topics. Check it out, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Then go over their blog if you're looking for the job openings. They got them all linked there in their blog. Uh, and uh, try out the seven-day free trial. Play around with the platform. See why it's so freaking valuable. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And sign up for that seven-day free trial. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Now, I don't know much about this next video. It's Noah's big production, but I do have one pro tip for you. If you're on the audio feed, give it about one to two minutes because it's got a quick intro to it, and then Noah gets into a description. And also, just for you, because you're my boo, I also embedded it in the show notes, and it's a pretty quick video, so you could just go back and watch it when you have a free moment. I'm pretty excited to see this. It's time for a holiday miracle.
2016 Christmas at the Chalaya House. Now, unfortunately, due to some constraints with YouTube, we can't actually play the entire video or the audio track will get us taken off of YouTube. So I thought I'd take a moment to explain some of the technical details. Now, you'll notice in this particular video, we took a very different approach. Usually, if I was going to show you something technical, because I'm a fellow geek, I would just want to geek out with you and explain everything in its entirety. But Chris was taunting me last week, and he goes, Noah, show me what Lightworks can do. Well, I will, buddy. I'll show you what Lightworks can do. And as it turns out, they're coming up with a a totally redesigned version of Lightworks, and I'm going to have the opportunity to offer some input and give some feedback about my experiences with Lightworks, and so I'm looking forward to that. But on to the actual technical explanation of how we did this episode. Very early on, I was automating my house, and I wanted to automate the outside of Christmas. And there was a community of people that were doing exactly this. And so we were trading sequence files. And full disclosure, a lot of those guys were using Windows. So I started this out on a Windows virtual machine. Um, And I noticed that inside of these sequence files, it explains, if you just open it with a text editor, it says this channel, this duration, this intensity. And I thought, that's DMX. And so as we kind of went on, I said, I could do this inside of Linux if I only had some DMX software. Well, over the past couple of years working with AltaSpeed, we now have DMX software that we use all the time. And I noticed that there was a show function which allows you to script out exactly what lights do what at specific times. And so we started using the show function for AltaSpeed. And I said, I bet I could go back and I bet I could enter those sequences as long as I entered each channel by hand into QLC+. And it turns out that works great. So this is Linux Automated Home for Christmas. That's what our house is going to look like. Didn't decorate it last year, but got around to it this year. And I hope you enjoyed the video and thought it was of excellent uh, production quality, all brought to you on Linux. Back to you, Chris. <laughs> I see. I see. So you uh, <laughs> try to get you see. Try to call I me on the show. I may or may not have taken the entire thing. And like, first I was like, I'll go through and explain all this stuff and show everyone, just put the camera up and let it be secondary. And then I'm like, oh, maybe I should make a video production. Just like, mm-hmm. so the here's, thing. well, so the, for you audio <laughs> listeners, we will embed it in the show notes if you would like to review and, uh, and, uh, you know, let us know what you think. So I got a question for you, Noah. See, this is a, this is a massive endeavor that people, this video doesn't really, Make people realize you are a madman with this thing. You're crawling all over the place out in freezing weather. Have you ever considered just a permanent installation? Just leave it. Just or just put all the hookups in place and then put the lights I, out I every have, year. Here's the, here's the problem. I can't stand driving by people's houses that have Christmas lights, even if they're off. I just it just looks so tacky to me. Well, number what if one, you just had two. the wires ran? Yeah. So the problem is. Um, the wires have to have connections. So I'd have all these connections sticking out of the ground, like next to the bushes, which yeah. would make it hard to run the lawn. I mean, there are probably no less. Th- I mean, it, it doesn't look like it because I, it took me days to run those extension cords, but there are probably 90 extension cords, 100 extension cords all over the place because Who? they have to, every one of those cords has to go back to the one of those dimmer packs. Like every single light has to be on its own separate circuit so I can turn each one on or off individually. Well, uh, so I don't know. I just have two big rubbermaids full of extension cords that I so take out. So, were you using the were you using the new Lightworks uh, uh, UI that looks a lot like Katie and Live for that video, or is no. this? Oh, okay. No, that, no. This is the this is whatever the whatever the last version that came out right. on on a bunch of nineties. Yeah, okay, the one that came out in the nineties. So, uh, have you? Yeah, are you? How would you? So, how would you get the new beta version of Lightworks to try? Because I'd be I'd like to hear your take on well, on since you you're very familiar with the current UI. I've gotten no less yeah. than probably 90 questions about it <laughs> this week about what I think. Sure. And my thought was if you're the Lightworks guy, you should probably be the one to try it. Um, yeah. Uh, can you get I, your hands I, I don't on know it? Is, it that, is that possible for Lightworks? Is that something you can do? So so interestingly enough, I was I was in communication with a gentleman that is, that's working with some of the people at EditShare 
Um, and so he asked me for some feedback. So I was in the process of crafting that when, you know, some of those links came in earlier today in, in the Slack thread talking about how the new version of Lightworks is coming out. So as soon as I can figure out how I can get it, I would love to try it. And I would love to, to you know, I do a whole review segment on it. Maybe that's next week's episode. Oh, maybe because I've gotten uh, you guys have brought this on yourself if you don't care, because I've gotten so many questions about it that uh, <laughs> 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 now it's my turn. <laughs> I like the segment quite a bit. I think uh, you should uh, you should fly out here and uh, just uh, take over the best of editing for the beard because uh, that's been killing him for the last. Uh, I would. Totally do that as yeah. long as I can do it under Lightworks. Uh, all right. So I will put – I will embed that in the show notes. I have it uploading to YouTube right now if you guys would like to check it out and leave your thoughts. And and then we've done coverage on DMX in the past. Do you have a specific re- mem- recollection of where we could point people to to – the back end tech you used for all of that Par- party with the party with uh, party with uh, or Linux rocks the party or something like that. Yeah, I yeah, there was the a exact... Linux partying one. That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. party with Linux or something. Yeah. But that, that that's that's the one that 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 goes over in detail what exactly I, I show you every software. I show you how to create all of those sequences and stuff. And yeah, I would I would I ask them all together. Personal favor from the chat room. If somebody could dig that up, we could link it in the show notes. Also from the chat room, JB Live seventeen three zero eight says that the new Lightworks beta is in the AUR. If you want to try it on one of your oh. arch boxes, so that could just be a quick, easy. Way there we go. Play. Yeah, party with Linux episode three sixty eight. Boom! Look at you. We'll drop that in the show notes, so people want to learn all the back end tech behind uh, how Noah put all that together. And look at him doing his fancy schmancy production on Linux. Did you see that Twitter back and forth last night? No. Oh, you didn't. You were getting name dropped. Uh, no. People were uh, <clears throat> people were uh, quote unquote discussing with different Twit staff about using Lightworks for editing. And citing us as proof oh, yeah? that it can be done. Mm-hmm. Oh, I tell you what, Leah wants any help. I will fly out to wherever he is, and I'd be more than happy to show him how to get his production done on, yeah, on, on yeah. Linux. I bet, works. I bet he'd be all over that. <laughs> I bet he would. Actually, he might. He's all about the Linux these days. All right, Noah. Well, that was a very interesting and fascinating look at both the crazy lighting setup that you go to. He's that guy in the neighborhood, everybody, with the lights going crazy. The guy that you go, damn, that yeah, guy must have nothing else to do. No, it's not that. It's just when you own your own business and hire people, you can uh, you can you can do things like that. It's hey, pretty cool. I tell you what, the sign out front the sign out front of the house that lets you listen to the music that says tune your radio to this is a big old branding at the bottom and says installed and configured by Altispeed Technologies. So you let people, like people You're telling me, you're telling me. How come you you did I did I miss? Did you mention that you set up a is it an FM transmitter? Yeah, yeah, but here's the thing. It's really not that it's there's nothing there's nothing sexy about it. It's literally a box that you set up and plug an audio cable in and turn it on. That's it. That's still the most yeah, badass Christmas in the garage. That's that's amazing. I yeah. I was just thinking about last night going out and doing a little Christmas lights tour and I was going to have to mm-hmm. build my own music playlist. But look at you. You've got Okay. You know what? You could downplay that all you want, but an FM transmitter transmitting Christmas music synchronized to the lights flashing in your yard is pretty cool. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But before we go, we got some cool feedback to cover, including some new gadgets that have come in, some couple uh, emails, like question-type things that people ask us, and then we, like, answer. But first, I want to tell you about our segment sponsor, System76. And they got a sale going on right now, System76.com, where they make – they actually make powerful computers that can do, like, lots of storage and RAM, or they make really nice compact all-in-ones, the whole range. Turns out one company can actually produce a whole range of products. It's amazing. And they're born, created to run Linux. And they have desktops and laptops and swag on sale right now, as well as kind of a cool game going on. Rogue Bots, System 76 in the year 2035, has finally assembled their own completely automated manufacturing facility. Unfortunately... There has been a short in the central command receptor. And the robots have gone rogue. It's kind of cool. It comes with a ray gun. You get to shoot stuff. System76.com. Well, not stuff. Um, Augmented reality robots. Kind of different there. System76.com. Go get a great system and tell them Noah switched to Linux, even if it's not true. It just really tickles us. System76.com. No, don't do that. No, why not? They got to know they heard about it here from somewhere. Because here's the thing. Here's, 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 here's what. Here's what. Here's they the thing. Are, no. They're already questioning the validity here's, of my ability Noah, to switch people here's to the thing. Like, oh, here's the thing. Noah, here's the thing. Here's Noah. Here tell is me. the thing. Lay it on me. Lay the thing on me. 
It's just a way of saying you heard about it here. Because you could say, hey, I heard about you on last, but why not have some fun when you're doing it? Give us some credit and, I mean, you know the joke. You know, it means if you're saying that, you know the inside joke. You know the inside beat. And I think that means even more. They're going to see that order and they're be like, these people know the inside track. And they're. I, I feel like that's, it's like good karma for your order. System76.com. I don't, I don't know. Check them out. And they got to get some free stuff. Hey, check this out. Mr. Vertunda set in a... Uh, album of his new Vocor 2, which is this tiny itsy-bitsy box. I'm going to fast forward. There it is right there. That looks like it's the box of the thing. No, no, no. Look at this thing. Look how little it is. It's just a little bit larger than an Ethernet jack. Ethernet jack and an audio port out. How badass is that? Also, I think, yeah, there you go. On the other side, USB, HDMI, I think, or no, that's, that's uh, my bad. That might be micro USB, but might have, I don't know. And it uh, looks like maybe a micro SD card reader. Little teensy, tiny, itsy, bitsy Linux box that uh, comes with this uh, web over management thing, OpenWRT preloaded on it. So if you're familiar with all the stuff you get with OpenWRT, you get this. It's an itty-bitty little teeny-bitty router or VPN device that's, I don't know, I can't even I can't even think what it's comparable to for you audio listeners size-wise. It's, it's, the, it's the size of like a ring box, like a small ring box. It's just a tiny little Linux computer. And uh, Veratuna is talking a bit about it in the Linux Action Show subreddit thread, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. And uh, it, look at this, Noah. 74 milliamps mm-hmm. Wi-Fi on standby. And when it's at full... There you go. When it's at full power, it's 230 milliamps with five volts of input. That's amazing. See, now, that's what, you need in, that's what you need in your RV. I know. Right there. That's what's up, for real. That's really cool. And so if you're that. curious about that little slick device, check it out. We have it linked in the show notes, or you can find it at the subreddit. All right. Andrew writes in, following up on an strange migration discussion we had last week, which came out of nowhere. He says, Noah, I jumped out of my chair when you started talking about the exchange migration. We're going to be moving off our exchange server very soon. We're moving off of 2007 exchange because it's not supported after... Uh, after Office 2013. I'm not sure what he's saying there, but I follow. It's not supported much longer. I'm currently trying to push my company away from Office 365 to something like Google Apps. There is an obvious Linux bias, but I've also heard enough horror stories from friends who have already moved Office 365. I want to avoid that if all possible. I would. I was hoping you would cover this migration on the show. It might make good user content. Uh, And I'd like to get your experience after the move. The post-migration user experience is one of the biggest concerns with moving to the Googs. Thanks for all of your hard work and the insights you bring into the show. Andrew. What do we have? So do you have any tips from – well, so I guess my question for you is do you have anything to to address on on pain points on on migrating from exchange off of exchange? Well, Noah, (sighs) come in and stay a while. No, actually, I'll just give you one big tip. Uh, no, that's just one big tip. Really make sure you got the Outlook profile stuff dialed in. If you can use a tool to move your Outlook profile to the new services or something like that, if you can move to a service that comes with a Outlook migrator, that's going to save your end users so much headache because it is within the beast of Outlook that there are millions of little things that your users expect to work just right. Everything from the way the Composer window is configured to address book suggestions and everything. They have built their workflow around this. This is definitely certain types of businesses more than others. And so Outlook is the monster because often – in so many cases, you end up with a new Outlook profile connected to the new server, and what's the big deal? We migrated the data, and it's fine, and it's not fine. Everything, little intricate things like the weird, crazy calendar reminder events they set up that never move quite right, any of that stuff. If you can avoid any Outlook pain points, it will dramatically reduce the user um, friction, and if you can reduce user friction – you're going to be in a much better place day two or three after the migration because what really happens after these migrations is first you get swamped with the one-off esoteric technical issues that range from DNS is forwarding to the wrong spam filter to uh, backup MX is pointed at the old system and some weird mailing list is using that for some reason. Then you, you, you work out and solve all of those things because those are the immediate big picture issue. Meanwhile, if there are if there are a – if there are any Outlook issues, they multiply per user. So you got you got five users, 10 users, 20 users that are having Outlook issues. That becomes this hot mess that just sits there and simmers and stews while you're working on the server issues and leads to super upset users who start thinking things like you weren't prepared or this wasn't maybe worth it or why did we go through this trouble or should we have used the other solution? And it, it is it is really easy to overlook how much of a bitch – 
outlook can be. So my one advice so would if be I'm, if I'm here, if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're telling me is that uh, if you're doing a migration, what you should not do is delete all the old outlook profiles and create new ones so that they don't accidentally wind up on their old profile pointing to the old server. I would, say, would I would say, you know, the, the best experience I've had is uh, when I was selling reselling hosted exchange, Intermedia developed a tool called the, uh, the, 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 the exchange server migration tool or something like this that, that worked with the Outlook profile. And that was really the best experience I had. And since then, some providers like Google will, will give you a tool like that. I would say my advice would be test that tool. Get a couple of test users or set up a couple of test scenarios. I prefer to work with real users if you have users that are compatible with your work style because they have all those esoteric settings that they've built up over the years and they've built in all that muscle memory and you need that to fully test this. And I would try a few different users. Try out a migration tool. I would weigh significantly my decision based on that just on probably the 30 or 40 companies that I've switched Exchange servers on. It has always been there's always something little that you got to solve. It's not a big deal. It's just part of migrating. You know, oh yeah, we forgot the backup thing, or what, that isn't set right. There's always something that you just have to resolve a day or two afterwards, and that you just factor that in, mm-hmm. and it's fine. But the user getting the users, if they get, if you get a lot of them, they get upset. That turns that turns it sour real fast. So that would be my advice. It's stick around, plan to be there for a couple of days afterwards because people will be coming in. They'll be doing something they didn't do on Monday, on Tuesday, and. And those kinds of things. Are you ready to take on Mr. Max's email? William, I ever. All right. Uh, so Max writes saying, says, hey, Chris, and I just have recently found your network and your shows and been listening to them and trying to catch up on all the previous episodes of the Linux Action Show at the moment. I work for my father in a small business as union plumber and a system admin. I have been trying to get uh, his OK to switch the file server from Windows to Linux superior file systems and better stability. Windows also restarts, he goes on to explain a couple of the problems with with Windows, but his real question is, he says, I remember Noah talking about a QuickBooks alternative in the early 400s hosted by the System76 as the parent company. I have to tell you, the product that you're talking about is Beansbooks, and we switched to it a couple of years ago, and our our experience has been like beyond amazing. Let me, and I'll just tell you quickly why. Part of it is because anytime we have an issue, we just email David Overcash, who's the guy over there that deals with uh, Beansbooks, and like within a week, he fixes problems. So if there are development issues or things didn't quite make sense for our business model, we said, you know, it'd be great if this box could be over here or could do this or calculate tax this way and all those different things, and they accommodate us. (laughs) They they say, okay, well, let's get a developer working on the fix. I want to hear all 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 who have uh, emailed into it and had them make a change in QuickBooks for them. uh, Raise your hand. Anyone? Oh, oh, and then secondly, the other thing that has been phenomenal is that Intuit works with the government and they make these little tools that they can audit. So when they go to do an audit, they just upload your QuickBooks file thing and it can scan through and then it does all this automated nonsense. To the best of my knowledge, System76 ain't working with the government to make sure that they have all these tools available for you. Which so if I, you didn't I, catch as a little, positive little in Noah's column. Yeah, that's a good thing. That's a good yes, thing. Yeah. yes, very much so. But I, we have had literally no problems. We pay for their hosting so they, you know, they can, they'll just give you the software and you just go install it on a droplet or something. We just pay them to host it and then that way they manage everything for us. And it's like I, yeah. 18 bucks a month. I bet. I would sniff Fantastic. around, check their site, see if you can start a dialogue with them and see if it's a fit. I would say, uh, you know, my lady's now going, now that she's on Linux all across the board, she's doing um, QuickBooks Online. Which has its pros mm-hmm. and cons. She got a great deal. Mm-hmm. They gave her she, to get her to switch off of the uh, standard local software install on Windows, which she was ready to do because she was moving to Linux anyways. They gave her a deal for like a year, which is not bad. Not bad. So those, those mm-hmm. are things to look into as well, Max. If you'd like to send us a question, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Linux Action Show from the dropdown or start a thread at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. It's also where you can submit stories, um, open source projects we should look at, other things. Things that uh, are worthy of discussion, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. And we do this show live noon Pacific time over at jblive.tv. You can get it converted to your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And Mr. Colonel Linux, where can people find you on Twitter? It's pretty hard to nail down. At Colonel Linux? Oh. Is that at? Yeah. At AltaSpeed, if that cut out for you, and at Colonel Linux, that's where you find that guy. I'm at Chris Elias mm-hmm. for my personal account and at Jupiter Signal for the network account. If you'd like to get a hold of me, that's a great way to contact me via Twitter because, like, I'm totes behind on email right now. I get, I get, a, I get in a lot of trouble. I get in a lot. Of, I get in a lot of trouble. But you know what? That 140 characters, they should never drop that limit. I'll tell you what. I hope Twitter never drops that limit because that that makes it work. 
So if you want to get a hold of me, twitter.com slash chrislas. And if you want to put a story in front of our noses, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And we'll see you right back here next week. I should do my new segment in my NPR post. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. I don't think we have any titles yet, but that's fine. I just hate all of you. Um, hey, Noah, it's the news. And uh, yes. this episode is brought to you. Okay. Brought right. to you. We'll brought to you. We'll start. Hello, and welcome we'll to the Linux start. Action oh. Show. On a very special right. edition, we're going to go inside Noah's home. Linux, Linux Forum. And his right. passion to create a holiday display using open source software with no cloud connectivity. Yes. Noah. Thank you for coming on the show. I'm really excited I'm to hear what you've been working on. I, I'm happy to be here, and uh, the Linux form should be excellent. Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Wait a minute. What do you mean DuckTales is coming back? Do you have a link to this? <coughs> DuckTales is coming back? Oh, boy. Well, that was, there's the end of the show. That's huge. That is, oh boy. That is oh huge. Oh, boy. Oh my. That's a big deal. All right, ready? Quit screwing around. Let's go. It's okay. All right, okay. All right, okay. This is Steve's Yes, yes. Enjoy it. Sing it. News time. I'm not singing. I'm not singing a Christmas song. No, please continue singing Christmas. No, I'm not. I'm singing the news song. Fantastic. I'm singing the news song. I want to hear. I want to hear. You will not. <laughs> you, will, you will not destroy my Christmas spirit. You ever stepped outside at your place and it's been so cold it's like <gasps> taking your breath away? Like, <gasps> no. Have you ever? Has it ever been so cold that you've taken a leak outside and it started to freeze before it hits the ground? Nope. That must be because, because I know that's I a thing up in Alaska. No. Yeah, I understand that. But here's the thing: nobody in their right mind puts on as much snow gear as I do to leave their house and then exposes an appendage, particularly such a valuable appendage. Ah, <laughs> but I dude, mean, you, just, you don't, you're not even, not I just can't even imagine if I grew up in a place like you did, I just would be so cute. I would want to, even if I could come with, like I just stick the tip out, dude, and just pee into the wind yeah. a little bit. Here, here's the problem. Freeze take, you your take pee. Your glove off and you, you, you take your glove off like one time to get like the car key, keys out or whatever. And that yeah. ends all curiosity. All that I might feel like. I don't know. I honestly no. I feel like I'd be pissing out the window. I, there's a way I could make this work. I'll relate it for you. In Vegas, there is this street performer, and his gig is you can walk and kick him in the nuts for twenty five bucks, as hard as you want, right? No way, really. There is no guy. Yeah, yeah. There is no. Well, I kind of suspect he, you know, what doesn't have nuts. There is. Yeah, I, I just, I, I mean, come on. So, but here's here's the thing. I don't believe there is any guy that ever watched that happen. He goes, ooh. I'm really curious about how that feels. I, I, I'm going to no. go pace. I'm going to go let somebody just, yeah. just one time just to try it. Just to, like that doesn't happen. Like, yeah, you, but so, you know, <clears throat> here's the thing. No, here's the thing. No, here's the thing. I, I fantasize about watching my urine evaporate into ice as it leaves my body. Like to me, it's the same fascination that makes me want to light a hair can on fire. You know, when you're spraying hair, <laughs> like that same oh, thing. I've done that numerous times. Yeah. You haven't done that? No, I have. I'm just saying. Like the same oh, thing that compels me to want to. Now I don't do it anymore. Yeah. But the same thing that compels me to want to light a hair can on fire compels me to want to piss into the wind and watch it freeze before it hits the ground. That okay. and I All feel right. like I feel like you're selling it, selling it short. I feel like if you wanted to, like you could come up with a contraption to take a leak. If men can travel to the depths of the ocean in a in a wetsuit and take a leak, you could pee in Grand Forks, North Dakota. I have the next idea for us to do. I, I got an activity. You and I are going to the range, and we're going to shoot some tannerite. Some if you what? Think blow, if, tannerite. If you think like taking a hair can and putting a lighter in front of it is cool, and I admit that it is, tannerite is the next level. It's like the only legal like explosive. That's amazing. Thing you can buy. Elroy in the chat room. My cousin drilled a hole in the wall, stuck a funnel in the hole, and pissed out the hole. That's how you do it. That's motivation. That's ingenuity. I mean, got a hole you got, Pat. <laughs> no, dude, that's your new pee hole. What are you talking about? That's your new pee hole. You leave that. Oh, <laughs> My wife likes our wall, so if I had to take half of it oh, out, yeah, I could, this is for when this is for work. this is for when you get kicked out for doing something stupid for a little while, and you're living in a shack <laughs> up on uh, Standing okay. Rock. Yeah. Okay.